It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. I've been going through a, a mini-series called Reminders from Joshua Harris, and I've thought of calling it Sweet Reminders from Joshua Harris, Precious Reminders from Joshua Harris. In other words, when you go through a, a trial like we are facing as a church today, those things that it seems like the enemy is getting away with nonsense. It seems like he's getting away with something, and yet the enemy doesn't actually get away with anything. Uh, God will always turn for good uh, that which the enemy is meaning for evil. And for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, everything always gets turned. And that's an important key thing, and it's, it's like the chief reminder of all the reminders. It's the capital R reminder, is that in every situation, we remember that God is in control, and he is good. And so that's sort of the theme that I would like to unpack today. I, I I remember as I was standing around with the pastors of our church yesterday, and there was another revelation of some leader that was having difficulties, let's just put it that way, and it's heart-sickening to all of us in the church, and it's shaking something in the church. It's, It's something... Different. I've walked through various scandals in church history, not me personally walking through scandals, but I've been around as I've seen scandals unfold, and it's difficult. It's a hard thing to chew on uh, as a believer and as a fellow leader. But what we're seeing today is like a, a backtracking, a forsaking, a letting go of something sacred. And I don't know, this is more disturbing than all those scandals. This is, this is very hard for me to witness as a leader. And I think what is needed right now is strength. What's needed is a strong voice. What's needed is truth to be proclaimed. Truth is what sets free. Truth changes things. And so when we get back to what God's word has said, what Jesus Christ has accomplished, when we focus once again on the cross, what we see is that God converts at the cross. He takes death and turns it to life. He takes sin and somehow out comes an opportunity of righteousness. How does he do that? And yet that's our God for you uh, right there. He is a converter. And so that's what's funny is we actually say, I was converted or yeah, they were converted. And we were. We were converted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We were converted from sinners into saints. How did that work? How, How did that happen? Well, it's what God does. God is very good at that. And so when we face trials of many kinds, we're not supposed to consider it strange. I would say that's good for us to remember as the church today. This is a reminder. And even though I'm not supportive of where Joshua Harris is currently headed, I can thank him for helping to remind the church of the most important things. And just as I said the other day that, uh, you know, when you face a 9-11, a 9-11 of 2001, uh, when our two Uh, Our twin towers in New York City were hit, uh, and they crumbled to the ground on live television. It stirred us as a nation, and people started praying, people that hadn't prayed in a long time. Uh, People started calling up loved ones and saying, hey, I just know I haven't said this for a while, but I just want you to know I really love you. Well, that's good. You know, it's not good that the twin towers fell. It's good what comes out of the ash heap. 
And God brings beauty out of ashes. And that's what we as Christians always hold to. And so the name of this particular message is called the blessing of a thorn. And for all practical purposes, it's hard if I were to describe to you what a thorn is. Uh, in the Greek, the word is scallops. It is a pointy stick-like thing. And if you ever get one of those thorns jabbed into your side, you would not typically think to give it a compliment or to call it a blessing. And that's what's interesting about that one passage uh, that we see in, uh, in Corinthians as Paul talks about a thorn, is he's actually seen it converted into something amazing. What I want to do is I want to lay a foundation today for how God takes trial and difficulty, even testing, and turns it into a revelation of himself. So let's go back to Genesis 22. I actually went through this, oh, it was a few weeks ago, uh, and it's just such a wonderful story, such an incredible Christophany, a picture of Christ in the cross in the Old Testament. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. What a moment for Abraham. It's a moment of tremendous trial, tremendous grief, and yet he speaks truth. He speaks truth in the midst of a moment that most of us, well, I'd say every single one of us as a parent would never want to be in. Uh, hey, Eric, would you be willing to lay down your child for me? It's like, God, please don't ask. You can ask me anything, but don't ask me for that. And so what we have is a, a moment of tension, a moment of trial, and you see truth spoken. And that is, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Obviously, I skipped a whole chunk in between where he's, he raises the knife, and God says, stop. And God says, look, I've seen that uh, you truly do fear me. And this is a trial. This is a test. And yet, Abraham was proved through this trial, and in the end, what do we see? We see that God supplied something. God always brings about what we could call the ram in the thicket. In the midst of the darkest hour in Abraham's life, lo and behold, there's a ram. And this, this is a dark, challenging season for many of us that we're walking through in watching where the church is headed and watching the, the downgrade and it's not that it's new in Christianity to have seasons like this where there's literally a turning away, but this seems to be something hyper, something hyperbolized. And, you know, I've studied Christian history and a lot of it, and, you know, I've been going over in my mind lately, it's like, can I think of any other time in Christian history that was so acutely <laughs> endangered, where the church was literally looking like it was going apostate as opposed to headed towards the truth. It looked like it was deliberately choosing to spurn the truth. It's like, excuse me, what's going on here? And uh, I'm sure there are times, and that's one of the things that I've been meditating upon, like, Lord, what is, what is this time that we're in? And what do you desire of your people? What, what can I do, Lord? What do you desire of me? And so one of the things that I want to reflect upon, I'm calling it the blessing of a thorn, but it's, Lord, whatever you ask of me, my answer is yes. Well, Eric, would you be willing to head to Moriah? That's where Abraham and Isaac had to go. Well, and so Moriah might look different for all of us, but Eric, would you be willing to go to Moriah? What do you mean by that, God? 
Would you be willing to trust me? You see, I need to trust that even if God leads me and my family into challenge and trial, that there is a ram in the thicket. In other words, that there is a turning in every situation where God gets his due. He reveals the Christ. He showcases the grandeur of his person. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And that's what we say. We say, in the mount of the Lord, in that place of trial, in that place of testing, in that place of darkness, in that place of difficulty, God will be there. God sees it ahead of time. He knows precisely what we are walking through, and he has an answer. The question is, are we going to speak truth in this situation, in this hour, in this moment, are we willing to speak the truth? So the word that comes out in this is provision. And the word provision is if you break it into two parts, like I have it on the screen, but if you're getting this via podcast, you're not necessarily seeing that. And, uh, but you break it into two halves. You have pro and then you have vision. Pro meaning ahead of time, something that is happening beforehand. And vision, well, we know what vision is. That is sight. You're seeing something, right? So this word is, is pretty amazing because most of us look at provision like, well, I have food on the table. Well, that's provision. Well, which it is, but why do you have food on the table? Because you knew you would be hungry. You went out and worked last week, earned money, went to the store, bought it, so that you would have that food on the table precisely when you needed it. In other words, provision is seeing ahead of time what need there is and then doing what it takes to supply and to provide for what need you know you're going to have. And that's what God does for us. God sees our need. He knows the need of the church right now. He's not blind to it. He's not sitting on his thumbs going, oh, no, what just happened? Boy, I was caught off guard by that. God has seen this. God knows that we are headed up to a Moriah as a church. He knows that we're being challenged right now. He's not caught off guard. The question is, do we believe that he will supply a, a ram for the sacrifice? Do we believe that he has an answer? Do we believe that just as in all of history, God has always supplied the answer to his people, that he will in fact supply it now? Do you remember the statement to Esther uh, that Mordecai says? Mordecai says, Esther, you're supposed to stand before the king. Oh, I'd be risking my life to do it. Yeah, I know. You'd be risking your life to do this hard thing. And then I, The part that I, I've held to for many years is, I mean, even if you don't, God will supply a deliverance for his people. That is an amazing statement. It's like there's an obvious solution right there. And sometimes the obvious solution passes on the opportunity to do what it's supposed to do. And so are we sunk if that happens? No. Even if Esther doesn't rise up in this generation right now to do what Esther is supposed to do, guess what? God will still supply a deliverance. As it says also He'll make even the rocks cry out if necessary. He'll make donkeys talk. And so in every situation, God will supply. The question is, do we trust him? See, our job is to be believers. In the midst of a version of Christianity where people actually think that you can be an unbeliever and be a believer, doesn't that seem like a good description of modern Christianity? Oh, I don't believe, but I'm a believer. No, you're not. You're an unbeliever. You're an unbeliever that's somehow trying to act like you're a believer. That doesn't work, okay? We as Christians are believers. We actually believe what God says. We believe the word of God. We believe what it testifies of the Son. And we hold to it with our life even unto death. This is everything to us. And so don't mess with it, people. 
When people hang out in the church and start belittling the truth of God and start questioning, it's like, wait, 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 wait. Are, are we talking, are you a wheat or are you a tear here? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Are you a virgin with the oil or are you a virgin without the oil? Let's clarify here because the saints of God are believers. That's what we do. That's our great job description. When we go to work in the kingdom of heaven, we believe. That's what we do. It's that simple. So what does God say? We believe it. It's that simple. He will supply a ram. So Genesis 50, this is just the, the good old-fashioned uh, references on the most important statements as far as I'm concerned in the Bible on this front is Joseph's conclusion. Joseph has gone through extreme trials. I mean, the poor guy was sold into slavery by his own brothers who fa falsified his death. And then, you know, after serving Potiphar so faithfully, he's falsely accused and thrown into a prison. And then after helping the, what was it, the cupbearer? The cupbearer forgets him and doesn't even mention him, doesn't help him at all, and he's still rotting away in prison. If there was ever a guy that had a reason to be bitter, it would be Joseph. And yet, in the midst of it, God is going to supply something for Joseph. God knows that Joseph is facing a Moriah. He's facing a test. He's facing a trial because he's positioning him perfectly to be a deliverer for the people. And Joseph sees this. Joseph understands this concept. And so when his brothers come back, and if there was ever a group of people that should not receive any mercy, any forgiveness, it would be this troop. And yet Joseph recognizes something. This is what he says. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So there are criminal activities that are taking place to sabotage the church of Jesus Christ right now. There are. What Josh is doing, whether or not it's purposeful, whether or not it's, uh, it's strategized and conspired to undermine the truth of Jesus Christ, I can't speak to that. But I can speak to the fact that spiritual powers are using him to accomplish that and to attempt to erode the foundation of Christianity. Evil is being perpetrated against the saints of God. But do we have a response as Joseph? That we could say, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Why? To bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. God wants to save souls through this. Now, it looks like the exact opposite is happening. That the, that the worst is coming to pass. That people are going to fall away. That the truth of God would be questioned. Or, does God have a ram in the thicket? Has God anticipated this day, and he's waiting for his faithful, to rise up and say, God, we trust you right now on this Moriah, in this dark moment when it, we don't know how it can turn out, but we do know that you're faithful. We do know that you take all that the enemy means for evil and you will transform it into good. So Romans 8, 28, of course, one of the most oft-memorized scriptures in the Bible. It's just a great scripture. It's sort of like John three sixteen. What do we stop speaking it because it's such a great scripture? However, don't become so familiar with a scripture that you blank out when people read it. You always want it to feel new. Every time you approach the text of scripture, trust that the Holy Spirit wants to take you deeper with it. And we know, do we know? Do we know this? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things, which includes this exact circumstance in the church. 
And so for us as individuals where we have struggled or where you're struggling, it might have nothing to do with what I'm talking about in regards to the Josh Harris situation or the modern compromise of the church of Jesus Christ. It could just be your personal circumstances. However, this is our attitude. God, you will work all things for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to your purpose. So this is a few weeks ago I brought up the Mayflower screw, but it's perfect for such a time like this. It's an attitude thing. The Mayflower screw is just a great story in American history where, you know, the pilgrims are making it over on the Mayflower and halfway across the Atlantic, the worst happens. They're in some storm and the mast of the Mayflower ship snaps. And so the crew that was leading over all these pilgrims who were strong Christians, uh, the crew is not Christian. They, they don't have any faith in God, and all they see is the practical uh, problems that they're facing, and they are still closer at that exact juncture to uh, England than they are to the New World. And so they decide that they're going to turn around, and the uh, pilgrims are like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they just have escaped persecution and difficulty over in England, and the last thing they want to do is turn around. And so uh, they, they, they beg the, the crew to give them an opportunity to pray and ask God for a solution because they believe, listen to this, they believe that God has a solution for them even in the midst of the Atlantic Ocean for a snapped, broken mast of a ship. I mean, how are you going to fix that in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean? And that's exactly what the crew was saying. We don't have anything to fix this. You know what? You would have to have something so extraordinary to fix this. And they were like trying to describe what you would need. And, and, the, and the pilgrims were like, yeah, yeah, could you be quiet? Let us pray. And the pilgrims pray and ask God to show them, in a sense, the ram in the thicket. God, where is the solution for this? We need help. You know our need. You, you're not caught by surprise that in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where you have led us, there is this broken, snapped mast. And you're not, uh, it's not foreign to you that we have a crew that is wanting to turn back. We need an answer. We need wisdom. We need to know where the ram is. Could you show it to us? They asked for wisdom, very specifically. And then as a group, someone said, I think we should check in the hole of the boat where their luggage was. And, you know, I'm sure there were Snickers sort of like, yeah, right, what we, we're going to find this one thing that could somehow hold this thing together. And no one could think of what it would be, where it would be. However, someone's like, I know it's there. And so they go down there, and I, I, I have my imaginations of how this all worked, but... I need to go back in time to at least give you a little background that uh, William Bradford had decided to bring a printing press uh, on this ship and to bring it over to the New World. William Bradford's wife was probably like saying, you cannot take this. And someone else was like, hey, you know, I think we need a printing press. And finally his wife was probably like, okay, you can take it. But boy, that's going to take up a lot of room and it's very heavy. And so I could just imagine when they're looking around in the hole, uh, someone bumps their knee against it and the side panel of the printing press falls off and there it was. It was this huge, long screw, a screw, probably specially designed for that printer, which just happens to perfectly fit, and I don't know how it worked, but it went into the mast and held it together for the entire journey. God always supplies in your darkest moment in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I cannot think of a more extreme situation than the middle of the Atlantic Ocean without cell phones. In other words, there's no way of communicating. There is nothing other than faith in God. And that's where we are at today. We're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean as a church, and we have a Savior. Do we trust him? So Jacob, uh, if you remember Jacob, Jacob is uh, 
he's had a rough life. Uh, you know, he's, he esteems the right thing. He wants this birthright. He wants the blessing of the firstborn. But he's the secondborn. And so he cons his brother and, you know, trades out, swaps out, uh, you know, for the birthright, a bowl of red stew, and gets that. However, he's still not doing too hot. He cons his dad, dresses up with goat skin, and, you know, Isaac, who is blind, he reaches out, oh, Esau, you must be Esau. Goat skin? I mean, Esau was one hairy guy. And, but gets this blessing and still is not doing so hot. He's had a rough life, and then his whole season with Laban is not, you know, uh, a great story. Let's just put it that way. It's, it's rather high drama. And so after all these years of pursuing the right thing, He's still in a desperate situation. He's angered his brother, who is now waiting to kill him with 400 armed men. And Jacob is at the end of his rope. And yet, if you want to look at it this way, sometimes we are led like Jacob. Because our modern church is sort of like a Jacob. We esteem the right things. We sing the right lyrics in our songs. But oftentimes, we're trying to live Christianity in our own self-effort. And sometimes God will lead us into a place just like this. It's a place called Peniel which means the face of God, where we've been grabbing, his name even means heel grabber. So we've been grabbing the heel. Whose heel did he grab? Esau's, the firstborn. It's the flesh. It's the firstborn life. It's the old man. We're like, I can do this for you, God. And so we're grabbing that our entire life, but God has to lead us into this dark place. Oftentimes here at Ellerslie, we call it the dark night of the soul. Why? Because in that dark night, in that place of difficulty where you have 400 armed men that are you know, breathing down your, your neck saying, you're dead tomorrow morning, what do you do? Well, in that dark moment, you reach out and grab God. And Jacob goes from being a God, or I'm sorry, a heel grabber to being a God grabber. And so Jacob in desperate straits equals the nation of Israel is born. Where did Israel come from? Right there. That night, that's when he got the name. And out of that man comes forth a nation, the nation of Israel. Out of that nation comes forth a Messiah. Out of that Messiah comes forth a church. The kingdom of heaven is literally emerging out of that darkest moment when all seems lost. Uh-huh, this is how it works. Joseph in def- desperate straits, imprisoned, dirty, grubby, hair probably down to his knees, hasn't shaven in years, He's not looking so hot. All of his dreams that he'd had, shot. There's no hope, or is there? You see, sometimes God will lead us into a dark place, a difficult place, a dank place, and then out of that, turn the situation completely around. And what, what, what comes out of it? The deliverance for all nations on earth. This is an incredible picture of the Christ. In other words, out of that dark moment comes forth the deliverance? Yeah, that's exactly right. How about Israel in desperate straits? Israel is backed up to the Red Sea. They have the strongest military force in the world at that time coming against them. They have mountains on both sides of them, and they have a whole body of water called the Red Sea behind them. They're stuck. They're in a desperate strait. And what happens? God parts the sea. And when he parts the sea, that very parting of the sea is their deliverance, and it's the destruction of their enemy. Sometimes God will back us up to a Red Sea, not just so that he can deliver us, but so that he can destroy that which is coming against us. You see, there are all sorts of lies coming against the church right now. There's all sorts of attacks, and we're backed up to a Red Sea. So do we also pick up stones and throw them at the word of God and question it? Or do we actually smile, the smile of the faithful, and say God has us right where he wants us? 
Okay, Lord, what are you going to do? I remember, according to Josephus, Josephus reasoned, all right, Oh, this, he, I could, shouldn't say this. Josephus didn't reason. Josephus describes Moses' reasoning. And Moses is thinking, okay, God brought us here. And so he could either flatten the mountains so that we could escape that way, or he could fly us out of here as a nation, or he could part this sea and we could walk across on dry land. I like that. That's the way we should be thinking. We should be saying, okay, God, you've brought us here. So why? Why are we in such a pickle as the church? Why are we so weak? I want to see what you have in store, Lord Jesus. I want you to supply your ram right now. Your solution, your God power, demonstrate it right now. So Jesus in desperate straits. Most of us don't look at it that way because we know that God is in control. That's what's funny. Looking at the cross, it says Satan entered into Judas. Oh, no. Okay, one of his key men, Satan, has just entered into. What is Judas dealing with Satan for? I thought he was a Christ follower. Oh, no. I mean, things are going south and fast. And then Gethsemane? Get, get out of there, Jesus. They're coming for you. Get, no, no, don't. Oh, no. He, like, gives himself over to them. Oh, no. And then he's scourged. He's, he's mocked. He's ridiculed. Crown of thorns pressed upon his head. He's silent. He's not defending himself. This is going south and fast. He's in a desperate strait. And yet, and yet in those darkest moments, in in those moments of greatest trial, of greatest difficulty, God, if you will trust him, will turn it. And though the enemy seems to be gloating in that moment, he obviously didn't remember this key truth that we're bringing up right now. And that is, though it may appear that God's people are weak, Though it may appear that God in that situation is weak, God has the enemy right where he wants him, and he has his people right where he wants them. So Jesus in desperate straits equals the redemption of humanity. Boom. In what looks like the weakest moment in all of history turns into the strongest. So when the church is going through its most difficult moments, what should we know? This is where the power of God is revealed. Remember what I called this? I called this the blessing of a thorn. You see, a thorn doesn't sound like a blessing. That's not a blessing. A thorn is sharp. It's agonizing. It's painful. The thorn equals the blessing. So when we face trials, those trials are actually a gift, even if those trials come from some that hate us. Evil is perpetrating those trials. That's Paul's story. You know where that thorn came from? It was a messenger from Satan. That's not good. How could you rejoice over that? Even when the enemy conspires to harm us, God will convert it. That's how we think. In other words, even when the enemy works, sharpens that stick and sticks it right in our side, we can receive it and say, God, how are you going to convert this? God, what are you going to do to use this for my good? So 2 Corinthians talks about this in in chapter 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, Paul speaking, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Let's stop there for a second. 
I think it's a reasonable thing for us to say, Lord Jesus, remove this test from the church right now. Could you please stop the media from advertising Josh's thoughts and his attitudes towards the church and his, his, his forsaking of all that is good and lovely and true and noble and right? Could you not market this? The enemy loves this stuff. I mean, the media eats this stuff up. And yet, do, are we willing to allow God to speak to us and say, hey, guys, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God, we feel so weak as a church right now. I don't know if you felt that. And it had, it had to be at a certain level of spiritual maturity probably to be discerning that in the first place. But the church is against the ropes right now for all practical purposes. It doesn't mean there aren't great solid believers out there. It just means that most of them feel sort of like they're, they've lost their voice, that they don't have anything to say or contribute right about now. Maybe God is positioning you as a Christian right now for such a time as this, just as he did Esther. But his strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For I take pleasure in thorns. That's what it's saying. I take pleasure in that sharp stick being jabbed into my side. Well, who's, who's dumb enough to come to that conclusion? Because when it is, I am going to reveal the strength of heaven. The strength of heaven is revealed in us as individuals and in us as a church when we will rejoice when that thorn enters our side. And right now, we have a thorn. And many of us have felt the anguish, the grief, and the pain because of that thorn. What do we do? Let's rejoice. Let's allow this to be a reminder of that which is true. We've been called up to a Moriah as a church, and we are in a trial, a, a challenge, a suffering of soul. And in those moments, just like it will always be in the future, because it could be a lot more difficult than this in the future, makes no difference. The truth will stay the same. God will always be there with his strength, with his supply, with his provision. He has seen this beforehand, and he will supply everything we need to walk through it. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's a fact. And let's remember and recall that fact today. Father, I ask that you would convert this exact circumstance, this exact situation into a profound picture of your strength, of your power, in your glory, and your love. Lord, may we behold as the church your goodness afresh. May we be brought back to first things. Lord, I pray that you would rebuild us through this, that you would freshly bring us back to our first love, that we would not allow the enemy to get away with one thing, but that we would see his kingdom taxed for this, and that he would be forced to repay for all damages done. Lord Jesus, 
we trust you. You are good. You are faithful. You are true. You are sovereign. You are in control. Lord, we pray a blessing upon your church, and we ask for a mercy to be extended to Joshua Harris, his wife, and his kids. Lord, I pray for a mercy to be shed in that direction. And for those that are wavering right now because of this, I pray that you would stabilize them, that you would comfort them, that you would speak to them right now, that you would take what the enemy has meant to harm and disrupt, and that you would convert it into a greater strength for the body of Christ. We love you. We rejoice in you, Lord Jesus. You are good and faithful and true. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.